Welcome everybody to another episode of the Unreasonable Art of Living podcast. I'm your host, Gerhard Molin. And as always, enjoy the music. Welcome back, back, big. <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. I hope you're doing fine wherever you are right now. Yeah, wow. Um, this week, this week's episode is going to be quite an uh, interesting topic. It's about yeah, creativity and um, uh, creativity as a birthright and why we actually all born as creative geniuses and through, unfortunately, through schooling and yeah, often through conditioning, we, many of us, and also talk from personal experience, we kind of like lose this creative confidence that we actually naturally born with. So it's going to be very, very, yeah, it's an episode very close to my heart, this topic. But uh, yeah, a little recap. Mm, this week has been, wow, super intense. Um, first of all, the work on the Lumi app is, yeah, we are launching early January, the early access, and this week has been extremely intense. And actually, at this point, I actually wanted to mention, I've, I've noticed, yeah, I think I had uh, the, at least the last four to eight weeks, not as much time and thought and, yeah, um, how to say, to really put into the podcast to be honest i think it was i was so occupied with just the product development of lumi a lot of coding long hours um yeah it was very time consuming and and you know but i mean i, I enjoy every second of it but i did notice that the podcast like especially when i remember yeah, up until november when i was not yet fully uh, coding on lumi there was a bit more headspace to really you know craft really nice episode so if you notice the decline in quality <laughs> i apologize i was extremely busy so i hope i hope you forgive me and um there will be so yeah i, I, I was reflecting especially like the last week's where's this podcast going and now i'm i'm still waiting for the official certification of my um yeah as a high flow coach so to say so i can officially also talk about flow and how to improve the mindset and goal and how to trigger flow and help people to kind of like get more done in less time so they have more time for other things in life for you know for their well-being so i'm waiting for the official certification and then actually would love to really focus a lot around that topic and also find guests around that which is very closely aligned to lumi itself the app and at this point, I would love to hear from you. How have you perceived the previous, let's say, four to eight episodes? You know, like the last eight weeks. Have you thought it was a bit unfocused? Or did you notice any decline in quality? Please let me know. I would love to hear from you. Um, how, have you how you have perceived this? Because after all, I'm, you know, that's the most important thing. How Do you like it in the end? Or how did you like it? And what, what didn't you like it? How, did you notice anything that has changed? Yeah, let me know. Oh, but today I have a green matcha tea from Japan, actually. Uh, because my dad was in October in Japan and he yeah, brought some goodies. 
<laughs> so this is so good. <laughs> Even like the normal tea bags from Japan are way better than what you can get here in Europe. Um, it's just mind blowing good, mind blowingly good. So yeah, I would love to hear your feedback. And let's go straight into Lumi. Actually, if you listen for this for the first time or like you just started joined recently, you might not know what Lumi is. And uh, just a little recap, Lumi is a method as a journaling and self-awareness method I've been doing for three and a half years. It's very simple. It's very easy and approachable to kind of like track various areas in your life from sleep, body health, family, friends, love, creativity, learning. Uh, what did I forget? Mental health, body health. Yeah. And it helps you kind of like become aware of these various areas in your life. And we're currently turning this into an app. It's very close to being ready to launch. And you can then also keep tracking these areas in your life. And it Lumi kind of helps you to understand how you're doing. But it also suggests you easy-to-use tools to explore and get better in different parts of your life. And these tools are designed and curated by experts and coaches. It can range from guided meditations for sleep, for creativity, for yeah, improving relationships, to creative exercises to boost your creative confidence or it gives you tools to learn something new. Um, so it's a really very holistic approach to your well-being in a very easy and joyful way. And yeah, there are going to be also like mini podcast series exclusively available in the app. And we already have some amazing people um, creating this content. One of them will be Maximilian Freiler. He's a leading uh, Wim Hof instructor in Europe. And he will, yeah, he will be leading the content production for Lumi tools and mini podcast series. It's going to be amazing. Uh, and they're going to be an exclusive mini podcast series about yeah, cold exposure, your mindset, Wim Hof method itself. So this is the Lumi app and we are launching early January, the early access. It's a very close and exclusive round. Um, we're close to 100 people, very excited. And if you still want to join, you can go to lumi.io. That's L-U-M-I-I.io. I repeat, L-U-M-I-I.io. There you can leave your email address. I will um, yeah, you're automatically part of the early access round. So that's going to be, it has been very occupying, but it has been very rewarding, to be honest, the last two, three months. But also very intense. <laughs> but I love it. It, says, it is really um, working on Lumi. Yeah, it's, it's almost like sometimes an auto body experience. You, this is beautiful constant flow of creation and sometimes I don't even know what's gonna look how to you know what we're gonna build in the end it's more like a feeling you try things out you tinker around until it, it feels right and you actually are left with something you never imagined uh, you would end up it's a fascinating process and that's why this topic is about creativity because I got for my birthday, a an amazing book. I really recommend it. Um, the Creative Act, A Way of Being by Rick Rubin. It was recommended to me in the past by a dear friend of mine, and then I got it from another friend as a birthday gift. And I want to read this amazing book. So really, I rec it is, why is it amazing? Not just because it's about kind of like creativity and 
which is your birthright to be a creative genius, but also how it was um, written or how it is written. So it is close to 300 pages, but each chapter is like so, it's so focused. Maybe three to four pages per chapter. Um, and every chapter is kind of like, wow, you read it and it's a revelation. It's like every chapter you would read something and find something you're like, you maybe have thought about it, but you were insecure, not unsure to really trust this feeling or like, how you think about certain things then you read it by someone like Rick Rubin who is a very very um, successful music producer in the States American music producer it was eye opening for me I read it every morning uh, with my espresso and it was yeah, it was a ritual for me it was amazing so I'm going to read to you and please forgive me for any reading mistakes i'm going to read for you the very first chapter it is just two pages so bear with me and then i'm gonna this is gonna be the starting point of this whole episode <laughs> so let's start the first chapter well let's give it first the first chapter is called everyone is a creator should we put music does it loop? Maybe. Hmm. Higher state. Okay, bear with me. I'm going to just play around with some music and choose the right one for you. Hmm. That's good. All right. Everyone is a creator. Those who do not engage in the tr traditional arts might be wary of calling themselves artists. They might perceive creativity as something extraordinary or beyond their capabilities, a calling for the special few who are born with these gifts. Fortunately, this is not the case. Creativity is not a rare ability. It is not difficult to access. Creativity is a fundamental aspect of being human. It's our birthright. And it's for all of us. Creativity, creativity doesn't exclusively relate to making art. We all engage in this act on a daily basis. To create is to bring something into existence that wasn't there before. It could be a conversation, the solution to a problem, a note to a friend, the rearrangement of a furniture in a room, a new route home to avoid a traffic jam. What you make doesn't have to be witnessed, recorded, sold or encased in glass for it to be a work of art. Through the ordinary state of being, we are already creators in the most profound way, creating our experience of reality and composing the world we perceive. In each moment, we are immersed in a field of undifferentiated matter from which our senses gather bits of information. The outside universe we perceive doesn't exist as such. Through a series of ele electrical and chemical reactions, we generate a reality internally. We create forests and oceans, warmth and cold, 
we read words, hear voices, and form interpretations. Then, in an instant, we produce a response. All of this in a world of our own creation. Regardless of whether or not we are formally making art, we are all living as artists. We perceive, filter, collect data, then curate an experience for ourselves and others based on this information set. Whether we do this consciously or, or unconsciously, by the mere fact of being alive, we are active participants in the ongoing process of creation. To live as an artist is a way of being in the world, a way of perceiving, a practice of paying attention, refining our sensitivity to tune in to be more subtle notes, looking for what draws us in, what pushes us away, noticing what feeling tones arise and where they lead. Attuned choice by attuned choice, your entire life is a form of self-expression. You exist as a creative being in a creative universe, a singular work of art. I let this sit for a bit. Why this book resonated so strongly with me? Because it threw me back to 2016. When I moved to Helsinki and I was still kind of like in the process of doing a PhD, very important to note, I never finished it <laughs> because I dropped out. <laughs> Um, exactly because of that reason. Um, I found academia not the right environment to express what I need, what needed to be expressed. And at this point, I was really, I was like my PhD was in education and I was so interested in how we can harness, what we can learn from games and game design and how can we bring this into education? Because for me, it was so fascinating. How can we where does it come from that we can spend hours and hours? I mean, me as a teenager and I, I, I knew friends of mine who, you know, were, they were, could spend hours in games and learn the craziest things, craziest skills. Why doesn't it translate to education? Where, where, where do we fall short there? Why, why is there like this gap? Why, why can't education be as engaging and amazing as a game, which in the end... Learning is really, because the, <laughs> I think now we have to make a difference because education uh, fell short in nurturing this natural intuition for learning curiosity, <clears throat> which games do really well. This is what I found out. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> and so, yeah, I was very interested in, in understanding this. And especially in creativity, and I was interested, how can we equip teachers in teacher education with kind of like game design techniques and methods to, so they can incorporate these methods into the classroom? They don't need to have a digital game, but they could maybe, yeah, gamify the classroom without the digital. And back then, I designed uh, with my team this uh, creative storytelling card game. And it was actually first, the focus was for the classroom to turn a classroom just with a set of cards into a ridiculous space adventure. And it worked amazingly well. We played it and we tested it in India, UK, um, and then we had to pivot. So actually, we sold it into families directly. 
And what I, from to my surprise, it was first actually targeted at yeah younger kids, maybe early teenage, like from the age, let's say, 7 to 12, 13, 14. But to our surprise, we were amazed how well this game worked across all ages. And even like, especially with people you would think, oh, they're not creative, like engineers and whatnot, very like, you know, um, how, how you would say like, square-headed people i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't call them but that's our sometimes uh, our uh conception of these people and this game really it's so simple because the core of the game is based on goffman's frame analysis and for me when i read about this um analysis and like this fear behind it is that actually every social situation is a created frame so if you go to an office or a company, if you're at home or a school, it's actually a, a frame based on an agreed set of rules, expected behaviors, what you can and cannot do, and agreed by all the people participating, be it at home, in a company, and we're not. And, of, and, and so often, these frames became very serious. Yeah, you're not allowed to kind of like think outside of the box, especially in schooling where mistakes are punished. Like the, the mis a mistake is the worst thing you can do in, in schools. <laughs> and this card game, what it did, it created a ridiculous frame. It's so ridiculous. In this game, planet Earth turned into raisin and in this game you had to kind of like form a space crew and create a ridiculous spaceship out of, I don't know, chewing gum, <laughs> skateboard, a frozen arm, a uh, what else would you have? So many things. And it was insane. Like the imagination that came out of the game was beautiful to it was beautiful to witness. And really it it, it, it threw me back to 2016 and the things we did then. It was remarkable. And this book, by the way, is like it's all about that, you know, we are born as these creative geniuses. I mean, it's it's so if you think about it what this whole universe is doing, it's creating. And I'm not talking about, mm, I think maybe there's sometimes a danger that this is, mm, I'm just joking the word. <laughs> Mixed up. Oh man. Oh, it's get mis it gets mistaken with, you know, like uh, what's called the uh, creationist. No, it has nothing to do with that. It's, when I'm talking about the, the universe is a creative place it's nothing to do with creationists who think that there's like one god that created the world 3000 years ago no just to be clear <laughs> when i talk about the universe it's talking about like this process that started billions of years ago with a big bang or even before and since then is in a constant constant process of creation and think about it Every interaction we have with people is a conversation, how you walk, how you when you breathe, listening to this podcast, me recording this podcast, I listen to other podcasts. It's a constant feedback mechanism that inspires us to do other things and to create. Unfortunately, we have designed in the last 150 to 200 years an educational system which kind of like destroyed our natural way of being creative absolutely destroyed it and there is actually many some of you know but um 
one thing, uh, it's a, always a really, really powerful reference, and you can look it up. It was a study conducted by NASA, so the space agency, because they developed with Dr. George Land a test actually to measure the creative potential of NASA scientists and engineers. And this test focused on divergent thinking cap capabilities. What that means uh, the ability to look at a particular problem and to suggest multiple solutions. And what does it mean? The solutions, kind of like we are natural divergent thinkers when we come to this world, we dare to think really abstract, really, you know, like we think about solutions that might not even work out in the end, but it's important that we think about them, that we are thinking outside of the box, so to say. I mean, it's, I hate this term, actually. <laughs> I don't know why I'm using it, but it kind of makes sense. Um, because the box is also valid thinking. It's a valid solution sometimes. <laughs> you know, a doctor shouldn't think outside of the box. Anyways, I'm drifting off. And what happens, so we, are, we, we come to this world as natural creative geniuses. And then through schooling, we lose this creative confidence in us and this ability to think divergently. So to really think broad because we are afraid to make mistakes. And at this point, I want to play with you a clip I prepared by Sir Ken Robinson. He is uh, a pioneer, a scientist, researcher, and author. Actually, Sir, yeah, Sir Ken Robinson. So um, he was actually, a, I think he was even an international advisor on education. Amazing, amazing person. And there was a TED Talk in 2007, I think, about do schools kill creativity? Oh, wait. <laughs> I did continue the NASA study. Okay, first things first. <laughs> so, yeah, there was this NASA study. So, this test, which kind of like tested um, divergent thinking. And then this research group thought about like, hey, let's apply these same tests and um, kind of like let children in the age four and five Give them test, give the same test to children, and they actually picked 1,600 children between the age four and five, and then follow them throughout their life and keep test, uh, give, keep giving them the same test and see what happens. And the result was, yeah, quite uh, poor, quite crazy. So when they gave the same test. That create the tested creative punch potential of of a person. They came to following results. When they gave the test to one thousand six hundred children between the age four and five, something very interesting came out. Ninety eight percent of the children fell into the genius category of imagination. Ninety eight percent by default, and it was a randomized group. So they followed the same group and did this, and years later let them redo the same test. Then, when the kids turned 10, so they already went to kindergarten and primary school, suddenly this number went dropped to 30%, 3-0. So after Five years in schooling, only 30% were considered creative geniuses. 
it started at 98%. Good. It continues. When they turned 15, the number dropped to 12%. And then, when the same test was conducted for adults, only 2% qualified as geniuses, creative geniuses. So we started 98%, age 4 and 5, and it dropped down to 2% out of 1,600 children. And yeah, I guess if you're lucky and uh, you grew up in a maybe an environment with either a, yeah, a school or with parents that understood what this is really all about, that we actually have to we come to this world with very unique gifts and it is actually the job to kind of nurture these gifts and, and really nurture the creative confidence, then you probably this with a two, lucky 2%. And now I'm going to play you this clip by Sir Ken Robinson, what he says has to say about schooling. All right. <laughs> what these things have in common is, is that kids will take a chance. You know, if they don't know, they'll have a go. Am I right? They're not frightened of being wrong. Now, I don't mean to say that being wrong is the same thing as being creative. What we do know is, if you're not prepared to be wrong, you'll never come up with anything original if you're not prepared to be wrong. And by the time they get to be adults, most kids have lost that capacity. Uh, they have become frightened of being wrong. And we run our companies this, by the way. We stigmatize mistakes. And we're now running national education systems where mistakes are the worst thing you can make. And the result is that we are educating people out of their creative capacities. Picasso once said this. He said that all children are born artists. The problem is to remain an artist as we grow up. I believe this passionately, that we don't grow into creativity, we grow out of it. Or rather, we get educated out of it. So why is this? Um, uh, I lived in Stratford-on-Avon uh, until about five years ago. In fact, we moved from Stratford to Los Angeles. So you can imagine what a seamless transition you know, this was from <laughs> LA. Actually, we lived in a place called Snitterfield, uh, just outside Stratford, which is where Shakespeare's father was born. Are you struck by a new thought? I was. You don't think of Shakespeare having a father, do you? Do you? Because you don't think of Shakespeare being a child. Do you? Shakespeare being seven. I never thought of it. I mean, he was seven at some point. He was in somebody's English class, wasn't he? Do you understand? <laughs> <laughs> really? How annoying would that be? You know? <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> Must try harder. <laughs> the, um... <laughs> Being sent to bed by his dad, to Shakespeare, go to bed now, you know, to William Shakespeare, you know, and put the pencil down. You know, and stop speaking like that. You know, it's... <laughs> it's... <laughs> it's confusing everybody. <laughs> anyway... Um... We moved from Stratford to Los Angeles, and I just want to say a word about the transition. Actually, my son uh, didn't want to come. I've got two kids. Uh, he's 21 now, and my daughter's 16. He didn't want to come uh, to Los Angeles. He loved it, but he had a girlfriend in England. Uh, this, this was the love of his life, Sarah. He'd known her for a month. <laughs> Mind you, they'd had their fourth anniversary. Because <laughs> it's a long time when you're 16. Anyway, he was really upset on the plane. He said, I'll never find another girl like Sarah. 
And we were rather pleased about that, frankly, because <laughs> she was... <laughs> she was... She was the main reason we were leaving the country. <laughs> but, uh... But something strikes you when you move to America and when you travel around the world. Every education system on Earth has the same hierarchy of subjects. Everyone, doesn't matter where you go, you think it would be otherwise, but it isn't. At the top are mathematics and languages, then the humanities and the bottom are the arts, everywhere on Earth. And in pretty much every system too, there's a hierarchy within the arts. Art and music are normally given a higher status in schools than drama and dance. There isn't an education system on the planet that teaches dance every day to children the way we teach them mathematics. Why? Why not? I think this is rather important. I think maths is very important, but so is dance. Children dance all the time if they're allowed to. We all do. We all have bodies, don't we? Yeah. Did I miss a meeting? I mean, I think... <laughs> I mean, uh, oh, this is a great talk. I will link it in the show notes. I will really recommend it to listen to the whole thing. It's 20 minutes. And... I think now we have, again, it's, it's beautiful. We have various resources telling the same thing. So we started out with the book Rick Rubin, The Creative Act, A Way of Being, with Sir Ken Robinson, with Picasso. They all talk about the same thing. And this is actually, you know, also like the notion of being an artist. And I thought about it when I read the book. I consider myself an artist, actually, even though I'm a software engineer, even though I'm an entrepreneur. But... I think we have to change the, the notion about around these words. An artist doesn't mean to be this, um, yeah, person who you know, in this in his drawing cave. It doesn't need to be Picasso. It doesn't mean to be Mozart. You know, this is a form of an artist. We all are artists, and we all have a story to tell. We all have something very unique to express, and we just have to find find the medium and the tools that allow us to express that be it dancing, be it a book, be it software, be it caring for people, be it cooking, being talking, be it drawing, be it thinking, be it building, being solving mathematical equations, being acting, being content, content creation, being, you know, there's so many, I think we have to stop, we have to redefine the notion of what an artist is. And even as an, you know, for example, I thought about like, the, you know, as an art and a doctor or an engineer, a form of artist as well, I'm, and a doctor, that's an insane art, to be honest, an expression like the skill to understand, to work with the body, to, yeah, even like, to, you know, yeah, no, I'm, I'm amazed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what happens in a surgery, what happens to, you know, in, in a sense of like working with patients, understanding how they're doing, understanding like what, what could be what could be the issue. Yes, you know, in certain areas, there needs to be very, this very clear line of what the solution is to a problem. But even in such areas, there's still process going on and innovation. And we find new answers. We thought like, okay, this is the only solution. And suddenly we found out, no, there's better better ways, new ways, and we were wrong. I mean, just look at the how, where medicine was in the 20s, 1920s, and where we are now. I mean, <laughs> in the 1920s, um, I read the book 
Charlie when he was he turned 109 years old and he was an, a doctor and was it's it's insane what they did in the 1920s as as doctors, unimaginable. I guess the point of this episode, I think, why I found it so inspiring is, a, I really recommend you to read the book. I'm gonna link in the show notes the Creative Act: The Way of Being. I'm gonna also yeah share the video about Sir Ken Robinson. And actually, I really would like to yeah, think about yourself in a sense. Do you think you are a creative genius? And if not, why? If your answer is, you know, I can draw, I can sing, I can play an instrument, that's just an excuse to go deeper. Because this is not what I mean. Creative confidence is the ability to believe in yourself that you have something to tell. Creative confidence means that to dare to be wrong, to dare to think, yeah, try things out and fail. I have the courage to learn from it, as we do actually naturally as children. We try things out, doesn't work, we do it again but we kind of lost it along the way somewhere. And I did it myself. I mean, I think until mid-twenties, maybe, you know. But then as I was engaging with this whole topic and working on this really creative storytelling card game, I was like, wow, yeah. I was limiting myself, actually. I was surprised under what conditioning and, you know, upbringing, like, you know, how, what education actually has done to me back then or head down not anymore <laughs> and what's beautiful of the book the great effect is like it really shows you that we are artists all the time life is a piece of art what we create together and actually this also comes to the next topic that being here on this planet is really an, a, a collaboration it's a co-creation of every situation, every moment. And ultimately, I really believe in that. Is that we create win-win situations for all of us. Yes, there's also darkness. And it will always be there. I think that's also a very natural, it's a law. It always has been, always will be there. But I think in this darkness or negativity or suffering, we can find inspiration to create light. And to create win-win situations again. It sounds bizarre, but to some degree, we have to be grateful that we see this negative, like sometimes very awful things in life, because this wakes us up and it's like, hey, we this is not the right way. It doesn't create win-win situations. So what can I do? So I hope you know. I believe in you. I believe that you're a creative genius. And why? This book came so handy because like there's one Lumi, uh, one category which I've been measuring. It's also called creativity. And when I was in Helsinki now yeah, one and a half weeks ago, I started to come up with the first tools to kind of like people can access through the app. And I was very scared about the creativity area because like, oh man, what, what can I do with this topic? But then I was like, what am I afraid of? Exactly eight years ago, 
I've been creating lots of creative exercises and tools that worked, they're simple, easy and approachable and that invite, that rem remember, I can remind people that they are creative geniuses. And I got so excited about like, wow, Lumi is not just about, you know, how to improve your sleep or self-awareness. It's also like helping people to rediscover their birthright, their sense of creativity and their imagination. And it got me so excited. It's like, wow, can't wait to kind of like design tools for people through the app that allows them in a very easy and approachable way to be reminded about their inner birthright as creative geniuses. Okay, so coming into an end to this episode, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, yeah, please let me know. I would love to hear feedback, as mentioned at the start of the episode, about how you think about the last episodes. Yeah, and if you want to support it, uh, yeah, please give it a five-star rating on your favorite platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to. And thank you for joining. Thank you for listening. I'm very excited about the early access phase for Lumi, the app. And we're going to plan to early February, March to have a bigger marketing campaign and see where the journey goes, you know. Another thing I learned from the book, um, the, the most important thing, whatever you, whatever you create, firstly, you have to enjoy it. Does it bring joy? Do you love it? And if you tick both boxes, then you have already won. The most important thing is, you know, you, got, you have to love what you're doing. Don't do it for... Don't do it for recognition or external factors. They might happen or not. That's out of your control. But you, what you can control is daily actions on, you know, expressing yourself through creating things that lead to win-win situations. And whatever tool or medium you choose, find the thing that allows you to express what you want to express. Your story that needs to be told. All right. Until next week, have a wonderful, wonderful day wherever you are right now. <laughs>